there's no question that Into the Spider-Verse is a great movie. However, when it comes to live-action Marvel flicks, Sony is a four-letter word. Regardless, we're going to do our best and not boot the second entrant out of the Sinister Six party. Hang on to your hats, everyone, because it's Morbin time as we try to prove to you that Morbius is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. Now look, dear listeners, we knew this day was going to come. We knew that adventure was going to have to happen. And that day has arrived. We have to talk about Morbius. And here to join me on our journey of pain through this episode, you know, my co-host for Just Another Nerd Show, Kevin Hilsden's back on It's Not That Bad. Kev, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Please hold your applause. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you just want me to hit the applause button again, don't you? Always, always and everywhere. There we yeah, go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, these, these awards are heavy. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Crazy. <laughs> it, it does kind of feel like if Just Another Nerd Show is the MCU, that this show is kind of like the Sony universe for, uh, for us for talking about this. But... When we were going back and forth with a couple of different movies about you know, what to do and what to cover on this episode, and it's like, okay, is it actually Morbin time? Um, were you excited that it's Morbin time, or are you are you scared to have to revisit this? I'll defend this movie. I think it has a lot of salvageable parts, and my initial thought was that I think it definitely did not thrive off of being postponed. 37 times um because with every it was like with every new trailer that came out for it the marketing got worse and worse because they're like well i don't know what else to show so they, they tried to show us some new stuff um but it's so hard like you ramp up you get a release date and you're like okay we're doing it and it's supposed to take place in a similar timeline to spider-man no way home but they kept trucking along with no way home and venom 2 and they just kind of put Morbius on a bit of a shelf a little bit. And then they had to go back and do reshoots and rewrites. And and then I think at one point, Sony or Mar- was it Sony or Marvel that came in and they were like, yeah, you can't use any mention of Spider-Man. You can't use anything at all from this and this. And, and then what ended up being their post-credit scene was in the trailer was in one of the early trailers. So I, I think this movie is a product of its own marketing <laughs> and you and i you and i crap on marketing enough on on just another nerd show oh completely and i think it it, it is true that I, I think there needs to be uh, a sort of allowance a sort of leeway because you're right this this film was supposed to come out in 2020 uh and then you know someone got the sniffles and then we all stayed home for two and a half years uh but you know it's it's gotta be hard and i don't think Aside from Top Gun Maverick, I don't think any movie that was scheduled to come out um, early or pre-pandemic and then got pushed back to 2022. I, I think Top Gun Maverick is maybe the only film that came out of that that long series of delays unscathed. Like, and this one might have been the one that suffered perhaps the most. Maybe Black Widow, but I, I 
there, there, there is still a marked difference between Black Widow and Morbius. But before we get into, you know, the good and the bad of this film, it is time to take this Sony Spider-Verse Sinister Six film and trailerize it. Imagine what would happen if Bruce Wayne grew up like an emo kid and actually had bad powers. Before you say cool, remember that this rejected episode of What If is worse than you can imagine. Jared Leto stars in the Marvel movie nobody asked for as Michael Morbius, a doctor so smart that he stupidly gives himself a dose of a drug that killed a mouse before bringing it back to life like he's never seen an episode of The Walking Dead. But this doctor has a conscience because he only drinks the Kirkland brand version of True Blood. But like all knockoffs, it has an expiry date. Much like the box office run of this movie. Maybe Matt Smith will show him what a true doctor can do in Morbius. Rated PG-13 for phony goth. Ooh, that was fun. That was fun. It was. Um, okay, let's do the right end here. This movie stars Jared Leto, Matt Smith, Adria Arjona, or Arjona. Again, I apologize if I mess up any names, but I'm an idiot in a basement with a microphone. Jared Harris, Tyrese Gibson, and a post credit scene, as mentioned, with the one and only Michael Keaton that actually made it to the theaters. However, it almost starred... J.K. Simmons, who had filmed a bunch of scenes as J. Jonah Jameson, but they were eventually cut. And then in an early cut of the film, one of Morbius's quote-unquote prisoners was Carnage. But that was pulled as well, especially when, you know, release dates for different movies were pulled around. Uh, It is interesting, though, because we all know that Jared Leto is the worst Joker that ever Jokered. But apparently on the short list to play the Joker in Suicide Squad was Matt Smith. I would have loved to have seen Matt Smith as the Joker. That would have been very, very cool. The film was directed by Daniel Espinoza, who is maybe best known for directing the movie Life, which we all just assume is a Venom prequel. But it was almost directed by F. Gary Gray and Antoine Fuqua, who both turned it down. As mentioned, this was supposed to be released in 2020. It wasn't. Spoiler alert. It was released in 2022, uh, which makes it too soon for us to tell if it's going to get nominated for any Razzies. But that being said, the film had a budget of $75 million, according to IMDb. Domestically, it grossed $73 million, and worldwide, only $163 million. When it was released, on the April 1st weekend, yeah, April Fool's Day, um, 2022, according to thenumbers.com. It debuted at number one, uh, making $39 million, beating out The Lost City in its second week uh, with The Batman in third. But that said, the second week in theaters, it dropped by 74% of its week-over-week gross and was obliterated out of the number one spot by the one and only Sonic 2. But then Twitter took over. They treated this film 
like it was John Scott getting voted into the NHL All-Star game. That's a perfect that's perfect. <laughs> uh, I knew you would you would appreciate that. And I know there's about maybe 20 or 30 other people listening to the show who might actually appreciate it, but yes. John Scott got voted into the All-Star game because people thought it was funny. Uh, and that's not a slag on John Scott. That's just the internet being the internet. But they basically hyped up this film so much and got morbid time trending that Sony was like, oh, maybe we should put this in the theater again. People will like it. <laughs> Wrong. They did re-release it in the theaters based on the quote-unquote praise. They released it into about a thousand screens. In total... That week, it made less than $300 per screen. This might be the only film in history that bombed twice in the same year. Oh, Sony. It was so not morbid time. This is definitely not morbid. It's never morbid time. <laughs> no. Now, but here's the interesting thing. So over at Metacritic, this film has a Metascore of 35 on Rotten Tomatoes, if you ever want to see the John Scott effect, which I am now coining this as a phrase, this is a real thing now, the John Scott effect, the tomatometer of this is 15%, 1-5. It is literally one of the worst reviewed comic book movies of all time. But the audience score is 71% because apparently the internet has never heard of the word irony. So, after going through all of this, like, is this one of those things where the internet made it better or worse? I don't, I don't, uh, hmm, well, let's see here. I was a part of that movement, by the way, that did the hashtag, it's Mormon time. Oh, it's so your fault, I, am, I see. <laughs> I, I am a part of the problem, and uh, my mom always said the best way to get out of a hole is to stop digging. So I'm gonna I'm gonna retire that phrase because uh, this this movie should not see the light of day again. But you know what? Anyways, it's there's a lot of salvageable pieces from it though, and oh. and I think I think there's there's some like I, I was saying before when you were doing the trailerizing, I'm like man, you just you can't have a Bat movie without Batman in it, right? So of course Michael Keaton's in it, and of course they gave him maybe another scene or two beyond uh, what we were expecting. Yeah, but it, I, I didn't think it was as bad as the tomat tomat. What do you call to, it? The, the, to, the tomatometer. Tomatometer. Yeah, the tomatometer. Oh yeah, it is funny that you've got Michael Keaton in a movie with bats, and he's not the guy who's the bat man. Um, that would be like Morgan Freeman being in a movie where he's not the narrator, but there is a narrator in the film, and that happened on a previous episode of this podcast as we talked about the poison rose. Um, but let's get to the breakdown of Morbius here. We have to start with Michael Morbius himself. So uh, I know you're not the biggest Jared Leto fan, but how was he in this for you? I actually didn't hate him as Morbius. I, re I really didn't. I thought there were a couple quips that felt a little out of place. Um, but overall, I, I actually think he did elevate the film at times. I think the I are We Are Venom line was so weird because I didn't get it. It felt like an inside joke on the set. I'm like, okay, well, that, that joke, it, I saw the movie in theaters, I think, twice. Don't know why, but I did. Um, and that joke didn't land either time. So, yeah, he, I think he was strong. I don't think he should be able to handle his own improvis improvisational comedy 
Um, but whenever you get an actor of his caliber or Matt Smith's caliber, don't waste them. Like, like hire some good writers. Don't blow the blow your whole uh, budget on actors. You know, it, it it's just when these when these movies flop, it is. It's you you take a look back at the script, and you go, how far off script did we go? And if we didn't, what could we have done to have really helped? this along because the the story itself was I don't want to say paper thin but there wasn't much for the actors to go on I I think and I've said this before on the show I think these actors did almost the most they can do with what they were given I think it's you could draw a comparison or at least a parallel with Michael Morbius to Batman and not just because the fact that well he's got bad powers look one of my biggest things about the Batman, or the, at least the actors that have played Batman, is that, you know, they either are a really good Bruce Wayne, or they're a really good Batman, and maybe only Christian Bale was the one that nailed both. I think Michael Keaton was a very good Batman. Not the best Bruce Wayne, but not horrible. I think Val Kilmer was a good Batman, but a, not a very good Bruce Wayne. I think George Clooney was a very good Bruce Wayne, but not a good Batman. You know, Adam West is gold. We leave him out of the equation here. But I think in this case, this is a tale of two films. And the first half, before it's Morbin time, Jared Leto is just Michael. You know, um, genius, prodigy, doctor that is looking to create a cure to cure his own and his best friend's blood disease and in that in those scenes that first half of the film i actually don't think jared leto was bad i think michael was you know considerate and humble and you know those the scene where he's helping that little girl who's in who's in his care kind of thing which means he's carrying on the the you know the the, the altruism of a meal that aspect of michael morbius was good the minute it became morbin time it felt like it got a little too campy and a little too comic booky you know the whole like you wouldn't like me when i'm hungry um you know funny clever if you know where the line comes from uh it's just i didn't necessarily like jared leto as Morbius the living vampire I liked him as Michael the guy who was trying to find the cure and because there is there's a tonal difference between the two but let's move on to that best friend Matt Smith um look over on just another nurture we have been singing the praises of Matt Smith basically till the cows come home um because of his work on House of the Dragon and when it was announced that he was going to be in this is like oh thank god finally Matt Smith joins the Marvel not necessarily the Marvel Cinematic Universe but at least the, the potential of joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I feel so bad because it feels like a, a like a waste of a perfectly good Matt Smith so what were your thoughts though on Matt Smith as Milo slash Lucius. I think he was amazing. I, I think, honestly, he had a lot of fun with this character. It definitely jumped off the screen, um, but he was also able to handle a bit more of the serious times of it. His character came across as arrogant, smuggy, um, was always kind of a step ahead, and the moment that Dr. Michael Morbius 
was able to kind of hone in on his true power and Matt Smith was on his heels or not Matt Smith, but Milo was on his heels. That's when he kind of got a taste of his own medicine. But for the whole, the entirety of, I'm, I'm going to talk about just the second half because the first half, I actually think they developed a pretty good friendship. There was a good backstory there. Um, these two young boys um, that grew up from basically nothing had each other's backs. I think that was a nice touching little story. Um, I think that them as vampires or living vampires, it, it was interesting. <laughs> That's always my nice way. You can always tell if you, if you listen to just another nerd show, when I use the word interesting, it means I'm holding back from really crapping on something or I'm trying to find the good in something, but his performance wasn't bad. I think that is what they were going for though. in that Milo character is that once he was given power, because these two characters are two main, are two leads, um, haven't had proper function in their legs for the better part of their life, if the whole thing. So as soon as you're, it, it's it's the, it's the effect of have you ever have you heard of the twin theory, Wiss? Vaguely, but 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 you know, go on, continue. So the twin theory is you have two children. Let's let's say they're both boys for argument's sake, because we're talking about two boys here. You have the twin theory. You have two boys, and they're they're they have the exact same upbringing, exact same upbringing. And let's say, for example, their father drank a lot. You'll have one twin that says, um, "You know, my father drank a lot, and that's why I'm never going to touch a bottle in my life." And then you have the other one that says, "My father drank a lot, and that's why I drink a lot." You know, so you have the exact same upbringing, but there's always two sides to a coin. So with this case, you have a very similar upbringing, very similar condition with the two of them, but you have the twin theory where Matt Smith starts to get a little arrogant and Morbius starts to ask questions and try to investigate and understands pretty early on in the process that he actually needs to close himself off from society um, because it's for the greater good. So as much of an anti-hero as he might be, he was definitely more on the hero side in this movie, which of course he has to be for us to try to root for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then Matt Smith took it a bit more as I can take what I want now that I have not just my legs back, but I'm way stronger than everyone else. I think it was also important for them to see, you know, while Michael was getting this, you know, stellar education and helping cultivate that, that, you know, that, that generational brain of his or whatever they wanted to to acknowledge it as meanwhile milo's getting his ass kicked you know because he he dropped his letter at the window and he tried to get it and you see like the the anger that's in there and if you're someone who's basically had to fight for everything in their life then yeah you're, you're gonna have a massive chip on your shoulder here um the thing is with this character with milo Matt Smith, I think, did the absolute best with what was on the sheet. And I recognize that the character is kind of based on the character of Hunger out of the comic books. But it falls into a little bit of the same, that that comic book trope. In that the hero finds themselves fighting a villain with a very similar power or skill set. You know, you saw it with the first Iron Man film, you know, it was Iron Man versus the Iron Monger, you know, even in the, the the second Iron Man film where he had to go up against a Whiplash, you know, and his his weapons are powered by the arc reactor. Thor going Black up against Black Panther. Absolutely. Soldier. Absolutely, right? Like it's that thing of you know, a hero having to fight someone with a similar 
power and skill set. And this is literally like two vapor clouds chasing each other across New York. Um, but that said, at least you you see the hunger in Milo. And in, in, in Morbius, you see someone who is, you know, knows what he needs to do in order to, to, to not, you know, become weak and revert and, and probably die. It's a reluctant thing. It just happens to be the guy who also created this, this, you know, for lack of a better term, true blood, let's call it like it is. It's, it's the blueberry version of true blood. Um, but the next thing about Matt Smith is that in playing Doctor Who and coming coming on to the, the role of Doctor Who after David Tennant, both of those actors were able to be fun and quirky, but when the doctor turns on you, if you if you run a if you run a foul of doc, of the doctor, it's it's not gonna end up well for you. Both David Tennant and Matt Smith knew that saw that and were able to portray that you know especially in i think it was the the sixth season of you know or at least of that run matt smith's second season as the doctor you saw those those shifts you saw the fun quirky doctor until it's time to get real serious you know did anyone take the uh the under on how long it would take for Wiss to bring up doctor who <laughs> if, I sure did. If, if <laughs> you, yeah, I think the over under was about ten minutes. So if you took the over, congratulations. Um, hey. uh, well, no, I did mention in the trailer eyes too, though. So maybe <laughs> oh, it's the under. under. Yeah, maybe it's it. the mm-hmm. under. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see when we're fully edited here. What time it came in, so you can you know do your guess here. Um, but it's true though. I mean, like we're this is the fourth Doctor to appear in a comic book movie recently. Uh, of course, we had Christopher Eccleston, who uh, was in Thor The Dark World. We're sorry. Uh, David Tennant, who, of course, was brilliant in Jessica Jones. Uh, Matt Smith now in here. And Peter Capaldi as the thinker in The Suicide Squad. Um, I, I mean, let's be honest. David Tennant definitely got the, the best role out of those four. But I don't think Milo is the worst character out of this war. In fact, I would say that Matt Smith you know, portrayal of Milo may be the second best of those four roles. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah, you're thinking about right, it. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's definitely a discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, like Malekith is not a, a, a strong contender for villain of the year in the MCU. In fact, Malekith might even be the worst villain of the entire MCU. I think I would take Sex Doll Doctor Doom from 2015's Fantastic Four over Malekith. Okay, but but I'm talking MCU here, and Malekith was I, proper I'm MCU. Worst, I'm talking worst comic book movie villains, like in recent history. Like we've had some pretty bad ones. Oh, we have, we absolutely have. But I think in MCU history, Malekith could be considered the worst. Um, Peter Capaldi is the thinker who actually wasn't bad in the Suicide Squad, but I think, you know, his character was he more for jokes. Yeah, it, He well, wasn't a villain, though. Yeah, it was more for jokes, though, let's be honest. Well, uh, he was used by the government to for, for, for Project Starfish. He wasn't the main villain. He was... So they found out throughout that story that the Suicide Squad weren't the only villains that were contracted to do dirty work for the government. And that, that was... It, it's it's honestly it's a great through thread of that story. Damn it, Waller! 
Yeah. It's just, they're just <laughs> renting them out. They're like, hey, look, you're in here for life. How would you like to use that brain of yours? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's really it. And I know Matt Smith took on this role because he actually called up Karen Gillan. I guess Karen Gillan was like, oh, yeah, no, do it. It's a lot of fun. Oh, oh, Amy Pond. What have you done? Um, but Matt Smith really did bring a lot to this role and made it, made it. But can you imagine anyone else in that role? I don't think the film would have been near as good as it could have been. Yeah, I. It's hard to say because Matt Smith did. He made you, you know, feel a little bit from Milo, especially you know before he went full on. I'm going to eat everybody. Um, you felt for the him that you you understood where he was coming from. You understood why yeah. he was like, you know, no, I'm not going to be denied this gift. I'm not going to be denied this power because I have earned it. I have. I'm not going to suffer anymore. Although. Is it me? Was it ever really revealed how he got so damn rich? I don't know. Was it like inheritance or something? Uh, it's hard to say. Remember. Hard to yeah. say. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Okay, let's move on to Adria Arjona as Martine Bancroft. Um, 10 out of 10. Great performance. Yeah. Really? I mean, she's she's not bad in it. I just think the character is poorly written. Yes, there you go. She like, executed her script to the best of her abilities. Yeah, but that script was not very good. I mean, she starts off, like, again, I, I think this is a tale of two movies. The first half, she is a very competent uh, assistant to Michael Morbius in trying to help him find a cure because she know she knows it will cure him, but she knows it will cure many others. Like there's there's an altruism an altruism in that, but then her character devolves into damsel in distress, and it's just so it's 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 it, it takes away it's- from what Adria has brought to the role. Yeah, you know what? I liked, uh, I think, I think if I could just give a quick little shout out here, because she was in that, she was in that scene that I'm about to reference, that boat sequence, mm-hmm. that entire boat sequence is every mad scientist's dream, 
where somebody gives you a way to do your experiments where Dr. Michael Morbius is on a ticking time bomb. He is a ticking time bomb. He's like, I don't know if I got days, if I got weeks, if I got months, I guarantee I don't have a year. So he is just doing the mad scientist thing and somebody enables him, not only financially, but gives him an out where they go, well, on international waters, you don't have to listen to any laws. So then you find that way. And, and Adria did a remarkable job in this scene alone, only because her character was left in the dark and then just saw all these bodies and actually did a pretty good job of kind of conveying the tone that would be set for the next little bit. Um, when it came to like media talking about Morbius or anything like that, because for a majority of the movie, they thought there was this killer out there and Morbius was kind of able to live two lives until Tyrese Gibson and Al Madrigal playing those agents shows up to his front door. Yeah. And then of course, like there's the, the reveal at the very end of the film, by the way, spoilers. Um, so she, (laughs) so she is basically kidnapped by, by Milo and then, um, she gets bitten, I guess. And then like at the end of the film, after, after Morbius has defeated Milo, uh, like she opens her eyes, like all of a sudden, like, Oh, boop, okay. All of a sudden I'm, I now have the same thing. I'm now a vampire. It's, a, you're taking a lot on faith that you're going to get a Morbius too. But B, I think it would have been more interesting if rather than you know, do the whole eye opening, don, don, don kind of moment, you know, if it came, if it ended with Michael's quest, you know, to find a cure for not just his own disease, but for her as well. Like, here's a reason for him to go back to being the scientist rather than, you know, it's reverse engineering at that point. He has to find the cure for the cure. I, I, maybe it's just me. I, again, it, it, it does. Like, I know... The first Suicide Squad film had a lot of studio input into it, and it's it you know it went through like two or three different cuts, and we know this film did too. I just wonder if her character is more flushed out in the original cut. Hmm, and that that's what it comes down to. And we could say that about each of these characters, is you know how much and the, the sanctity of the original cut you know, what happened. Cause we know in that intro that we, that we kind of talked about at the beginning of the show, there were a lot of changes and a lot of meddling. And we know this as, as video editors, you and I are in the, are in the industry, right? We're, we might mm. be in a different field, but we're still in the industry. We know that an editor will take a director's cut. will make it somewhat happen with little supervision from the producers. They take that cut or cuts of different scenes And they get feedback from exec producers. And then they get feedback from studio heads. And usually there's a load of feedback coming back. So by the end of it, like obviously we talked about how like Sony went in after and they meddled with a bunch of stuff. They had to fix the timeline a little bit. So they had to do a little bit of research on Michael Keaton's part um, to kind of retcon No Way Home a little bit. Was it for the better? Who knows? Will, will there ever be a director's cut? Probably not. Hashtag so. release the Espinosa cut. Oh, God, no. Please don't. <laughs> no, 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 Hey, no, no, if no. we can get John Scott into the NHL All-Star game and we can get Morbius back into theaters, we can release the Espinosa cut. <laughs> it's going to happen. 
Um, <laughs> we we talked about how Martine's character, you know, uh, character might have been a bit more flushed out in an earlier version. One person who definitely needed to be more flushed out was Jared Harris, is uh, playing Emil Nichols. This yeah. is the guy who was the doctor who was basically looking after the kids and you know, basically running what you have to think is this private clinic in Greece for people with this disease and then still looking after them into adulthood. His character is really interesting because here's the guy who really pushed for Michael to, you know, to get a higher education and to really tap into the brain power that he has and the intelligence and, you know, get him to the, to, to quote Martin, the Nobel prize. It's the Nobel Prize. Um, <laughs> I I wonder if they said Nobel Prize because you could they, they couldn't legally say Nobel. I wonder if that's the case. I could be wrong. Regardless of, um, Emil needed to be flushed out because unfortunately, um, when and again spoilers here, when Milo kills him, it has less impact. Here's the guy who helped them from childhood protected them uh kept them for lack of a better term alive and yet we don't see that impact on milo's life so when the moment comes it's it's a glossing over yeah i i mean i completely agree with that i don't i don't have anything really to add maybe he was a wasted actor just a wasted actor mm-hmm. like they could have they could have put danny devito into that role and it wouldn't have mattered are we doing the Danny DeVito role again here? I'm just going to pitch Danny DeVito as every character. Well, no, you know you know, time. there's a Danny DeVito rule, right? What's the Danny DeVito rule? Okay, so take a movie like Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah. All right. Christian Grey is not a good man, but oh, he's so handsome and rich. Recast him as Danny DeVito, and do you do you feel the same way about that character as you do as it's, you know, as it's played Ooh. otherwise? <laughs> wow oh i actually got like kind of a shiver down my spine that's okay yeah i don't want to think about that exactly oh my god and, and again that's something you can say in devito but it's true right you have these characters that do bad things but but they're so handsome or they so pretty kind of thing nope danny devito and all of a sudden it's a maniacal monster that's pretty much what it boils down to. The thing with i, I so just wait, wish. what's the point of that then i want to go deeper down that the danny devito thing so that's to try and flush out bad writing? Not necessarily flush out bad writing, but to, but to flush out uh, really how you should feel about a character in the way that they are portrayed and the things that yeah. they do, right? Yeah, yeah. Christian Grey, you know, for everything that he does to Dakota Johnson's character, yeah. um, you really shouldn't be sitting there going, oh, yeah, no, well, you know what? He's rich and he flies her around in the jet. If it's, you know... Or even Gilbert Gottfried. If it's Gilbert Gottfried, <laughs> if it's Gilbert Gottfried going, get into my red room, I'm going to whip you a little bit. You're not going to be sitting there and wondering if this is a really sexy movie. Um, <laughs> I can't believe you I know just- what I was actually thinking? One of my first <laughs> thoughts while we're doing all this, I'm thinking, man, like what character would I recast uh, Danny DeVito as like in Game of Thrones? And I was like, man, all those characters were really well written and they all had really... Uh, either selfish ambition or good intentions. Like, you actually could cast him in Game of Thrones as almost anyone. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like people would still feel for that character. I think what you're saying is 100% right, though, is that there's a lot of characters out there where they hide. And I don't know how we're getting onto this tangent because of uh, Jared Harris. But any, anyways, <laughs> and anyways, where, where they can hide bad writing or or hide a weak, uh, weak willed or, or ha- a character that is that has bad integrity uh, behind an actor that is either very well known or behind an actor that's, you know, good looking. Like, yeah. You, yeah, you, you, exactly. You are justifying bad actions by characters through wealth and attractiveness. And if you put someone in there that's not those, then it exposes the true character of the person. Like, again, using House of the Dragon as an example here. You know, if Otto Hightower is played by Reese Eifens, uh, he's stoic. He's regal. We know that he's, you know, doing chess moves in order to, you know, secure, you know, political favor for his family. If that's Danny DeVito in there going, hey, daughter, why don't you put the nice dress on? Go, go, go cozy up to the king. <laughs> right? All of a sudden yeah. you're like, Otto Hightower is a bad guy. And, and yeah. that's, again, that's nothing against Danny DeVito, who who I think actually was a very good choice to play the Penguin way back in Batman Returns. Um, but it, it does point out those characters. Like, if you put Danny DeVito in Milo's role, it's straight villain. It's straight villain. Matt Smith makes it almost a sympathetic villain. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a yeah. good take. I agree with that. So I introduced the twin theory, and you have the Danny DeVito theory? Yes, we got to bring that over to Just Another Nerd Show and let the fans decide which theory makes more sense. Okay, I like but that. The, the day we get to a fan cast Friday and Danny DeVito is one of our choices, we have to question if the person that we're casting is a good person or not. <laughs> but let's move I like on. that. Yeah, exactly. Like that. You that, That's basically the tab I'd say, nope, nope, this character is evil. Um, you mentioned earlier the FBI agents, Tyrese Gibson and Al Madrigal. Um, it's basically a good cop, bad cop in this case. And it's interesting because to have someone, especially like Tyrese Gibson, it felt like they were trying to set up Tyrese Gibson to maybe be the FBI agent that has to deal with the eventuality of a Sinister Six somewhere down the road. I Wiss, I, I know you want me to give my two cents on this. Let's be honest, and I'll just throw this right out there. Tyrese Gibson was wasted, and you could have casted, and this sounds awful, and I apologize to the screenwriter for saying it, you could have casted Joe Schmo off the street into these roles, and they would have done the same job. It's it really, I, you're right. It felt like a statement casting Tyrese Gibson. It felt mm-hmm. like he was meant for bigger things, but they cut so much of him. Like, wasn't there a shot in the trailer of him with like a mechanical arm? Like they completely took that out of the movie. Yeah, it's there, there's so much that changed in this film, and yeah, I mean. You also mentioned, too, the whole, like, I am Venom role, uh, line, which it was okay for a laugh and all that. There was a point where, like, like the two cops are, are, are sitting there saying, like, oh, we haven't seen something like this since, you know, that, that business out in San Francisco. And we all know what that meant. And if that had been the only uh, throwaway reference to Venom, I think it would have been subtle enough uh, and a not enough to be able to uh, to to say, okay, this is all the same universe. Um, and yeah, if you put someone like Tyrese Gibson in that role, and the and the amount of screen presence they gave him almost showed the hand, like, yeah, get used to this guy. 
you could see somewhere down the road, you know, with, you know, with Craven the Hunter, maybe with Madam Webb, that we get more and more Tyrese Gibson, that he's maybe the guy who ends up, you know, you know, basically running some FBI task force on the Sinister Six. I just don't know if we're going to get there now. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you keep in mind, if you're doing a team-up movie, so for example, the most successful team-up movie in the last 10 years, okay, The Avengers, were all of the movies leading up to it stellar or were they necessary? Like, Iron Man 1 was a slam dunk, like, home run, out of the park, great movie. The Incredible Hulk, they had to recast Ed Norton, but they still use the Incredible Hulk as canon. Not a, not a excellent movie, but it wasn't bad. I, I actually Am- I actually didn't mind. I mean, keep in mind bad. too. I was weighing the Incredible Hulk, you know, versus the Ang Lee yeah. Hulk movie, and yeah. that might be the worst comic book movie out there. Yeah, and at the time, Thor wasn't even seen as a bad movie either, but mm-hmm. it wasn't super well received. And then at the time as well, Captain America the First Avenger wasn't even seen as that great of a movie. Now, things have been recontextualized later on uh, that have made that movie a little bit better. And there's a lot of people that would argue that he has the best trilogy of any Marvel character. Um, I think they included Tobey Maguire in that, which that means that's fighting words. Um, But you know what? I, I I think you'd be right. I think Captain America does have the best trilogy of films. Yeah. But, but back to my initial point, though, and yes, that's that's a good conversation for another time. But we, we've we had an introduction to Michael Keaton's vulture, Adrian Toomes. Uh, it wasn't his own movie. We've had an introduction to Venom, and we've had a sequel to Venom. We've had an introduction to Michael Morbius. Now, I think A Sinister Six is still doable, very much so, and doing their own movie, too. The movie that is the precursor to it does not need to be stellar. But it needs to have initialized and set in place the history of that character. Like what the Avengers was able to do was introduce some of the more grounded heroes like Hawkeye. Like, well, Black Widow was introduced in um, Iron Man 2. And even Hawkeye was kind of teased in Thor. Yeah. Like they kind of had their bases covered for the most part. I think you need to have some of these solo movies because they're necessary. If you're going to do a Sinister Six and you just had Morbius show up, eh, you kind of needed that backstory. So as much as this is a subpar movie, yeah, you need to, uh, you needed it. But, <laughs> yeah. but before we continue, I think I think this conversation needs to be had because the thing with all comic book movies these days is how it fits in the grander scheme of things. Now, look. The end goal of these Sony Spider-Verse films feels like they're really still pushing forward to try to get that Sinister Six film. I mean, they were trying to tease that at the end of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the, the Andrew Garfield one. So, knowing this, and knowing the reception to Suicide Squad, even The Suicide Squad, because... I personally think, as much as I love James Gunn, I think The Suicide Squad isn't as good as other people make it out to be. It's just looked at really well because the first Suicide Squad sucked. And knowing that Marvel is bringing the Thunderbolts to the MCU, is the Sinister Six necessary? Or can we not just have individual films? I, I actually think it would be an interesting concept 
if Sony were to get their ish together, introduce the Sinister Six, and have them be like the villains of the Thunderbolts team. Because if you're going to have a team of anti-heroes and maybe heroes that have chips on their shoulder that they need to prove themselves um, and you want to show them as the heroes, have them beating the crap out of some like clearly not not so great dudes, right? I mean, this, of course, leads to maybe the biggest uh, what the f*** moment for this film is the vulture conundrum at the end. Yeah. Right? Like, we know that this film went through reshoots, and there were some scenes in the, you know, in the initial trailers that definitely did not make the final cut. Like, even scenes with, you know, Spider-Man, wanted Spider-Man posters on the wall kind of thing, which alluded to what we saw at the end of uh, Far From Home. Um, And then all of a sudden, out pops the vulture in his full vulture armor, which we don't know which universe it is, but if it's Venom's universe... Uh, we know that all that's a different universe than the MCU. Well, where did he get the Chitari-based equipment for his flight suit? And then he's sitting there going, how did I get here? I think it has something to do with Spider-Man. Yeah. We haven't seen a Spider-Man in the Sony Spider-Verse. The only time it's been he referenced... He came from the MCU. No, but the they, only time... They, they exactly, established that. Yes, but Vulture would know who Spider-Man is, possibly depending on that that spell the Doctor Strange made. Mm-hmm. And with Venom, at the end of No Way Home, you know, he's at the bar and he's getting this, let me get this straight. There's all these heroes. And, you know, so basically in his world, the Avengers don't exist. There's not all these heroes. And then he gets, you know, phased back into his own universe. I think part of the problem is that you can't have Vulture say, I think it has to do with Spider-Man. Because we don't know if Spider-Man exists or if he, or which Spider-Man exists in that universe because we haven't seen it. I don't think it's going to be Tobey Maguire. And I don't think it's going to be Tom Holland. Yeah, the, I think at best you're going to have Andrew Garfield as the Spider-Man in that universe. But it just seems very weird because it feels like Morbius shouldn't know who Spider-Man is. Interesting. Yeah. Well, no, Morbius doesn't have... He, he doesn't say it, right? He doesn't... He kind of no. gives him a look. It's it's Michael Keaton delivers that line, and then Morbius just kind of gives him a look. I don't I don't think Morbius actually confirms with it, him or affirms with him. It just says it sounds interesting, you know. And then cut to credits, right? It's mm-hmm. and it just feels so shoehorned in. Like oh, we have to make this, you know. Yeah, it was very to, campy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like yeah. I would have been fine if they had just let the post credit scene be, you know be Martine opening her eyes on the rooftop, which leads us to question Morbius's next moves in the next movie. If there is going to be a next movie, we don't need to. And I know this kind of goes in contrary to what we say over on just another nerd show. Cause every time a new show pops up, we sit there and say, well, who, you know, is this person going to show up? And is this person going to show up? And is this person going to show up? Uh, and we often feel um, disappointed when all these characters that we, that we fantasize about appearing in this series don't show up here. I'm kind of wishing that Vulture didn't show up because it would have at least, it would have at least alluded to the idea that the sinister six could exist without a force to stop them. Yeah. Or at least a world that they could be the heroes. Well, okay. So considering that 
you know, they didn't want any references to the current Spider-Man universe in these in the Marvel 616. Um, yet they shipped Michael Keaton off to this universe, wherever it is. They haven't designated the Sony Spider-Verse yet. They haven't designated that that multiverse, that universe. Mm-hmm. Um, what would have been a better option than Adrian Toomes? Like, they've already done the Venom thing in, in No Way Home of uh, kind of showing him in a place looking at the TV, looking at a news story. So I feel like we can take that out entirely. But what would have been the connective tissue at the end of this movie that would have made you left somewhat satisfied? I th- I think... I'm putting you on the spot here because I know, I know I didn't ask you this beforehand. I think the, <laughs> the best villain that you could have transported to that universe that could have made sense would be the... Pin. No. Oh. Would have been the No Way Home version of Electro, because it was clearly different enough from the Andrew Garfield one that you have to sit there and say, "Well, maybe it's maybe it's a different multiversal it, right? Electro." Exactly, right? They retconned it in No Way Home. Mm-hmm. That he is Andrew thing. Garfield's. Yeah, yeah. So if you had sent one of those, either him or maybe the lizard, mm-hmm. resiphons again. Yeah, yeah, one of those two to the Morbius world, then that would have firmly planted which Spider-Man we were going to be dealing with. Yeah. But instead they put the vulture there. So it feels like it should be fish out of water because Tom Holland is not of that universe. Mm-hmm. And it seems even weirder because he wasn't in no way home. Why did he get transported to this universe? I think it would have been really, really cool, in my humble opinion. I think it would have been really cool uh, since we know that Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, the main villain, or at least one of the main antagonists, is supposed to be the spot. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it would have been cool if we had seen a live-action spot because it would have led to a lot of theories. Not, Not like, I didn't need it on screen or anything. Maybe it was like a newspaper or something that blew by and said, the spot strikes again. And it was just just something subtle like that. No, no, no. Michael Morbius doesn't even see it, whatever. It's more for us to theorize as to what universe Morbius and Venom are in. Because that would have led to a bigger discussion for their Sony universe. Because they do have very successful animated movies. And they have a Spider-Verse uh, Madam Web type thing that could cross over multiple pieces of IP. I think mm-hmm. that would have been a big mic drop moment um, and definitely would have kept the conversation going beyond it's Morbin time. Let's re-release this piece. Of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, John Scott is the villain of the Morbius universe. That is all I'm going to say. <laughs> the other thing I need to bring up here is the graphics in this one, because, of course, mm. you, know, I, you know, people would make fun of the vapor trails left behind by everybody here. Um, I think there was some good and some bad. But what were your thoughts on the visualization of? of the, for lack of a better term, vampire sense. I think when you have a darker movie like this, it's easier. I'm not going to say it's easy because motion graphics artists, like it's incredibly hard what they do and to find the right lighting and shading and all that. Even the ones that say, oh, well, you know, like I'm good at my job, whatever. They still put a tremendous amount of work in. Um, So not to knock anything that they do. 
But in a movie like this where a lot of your CG, like I'm thinking about like the boat scene where it's a little darker. Um, one of the last scenes where they're in that dark sewer. There's another scene where they're in the um, the underground train or um, what's it called? The subway. They're in the in the subway line. And there's kind of some darker kind of smoky moments. It's a lot easier to hide unfinished or unrendered or bad CG in dark environments because you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about shading. So this movie was able to hide it a bit better. Having said that, there were a couple times where you notice some things and I think it's just because our eyes are maybe tuned to it right now, you know, because we're, we're, we've gotten so much as comic book fans um, that now, like, like, for example, that first trailer comes out of She-Hulk. And everyone's talking about, oh, it looks unrendered. It looks unfinished. Oh, she looks like shit. Oh. You know, and clearly they fixed it for the show. But our eyes are just trained for it now. So, yeah, this movie, what was your original question? <laughs> <laughs> about the graphics, because there's a couple things. Yeah. Like, I mean, when, when, when Milo and Morbius are fighting each other, um, it seems like a very, you know, we, we get back to the whole you know, end fight scene, um, like from Venom, where it's just big gobs of glue that are smashed together. Like, you know, someone's spilling all the, uh, you know, all the putty all over the place. But yeah, in this one, while I'm not, wasn't necessarily a big fan of the vapor trails, the, the, the design behind the sonar aspect of his abilities. That was cool. That was right? really cool. Yeah, like that there's there was that scene where Martine is on the rooftop as, you know, as bait to lure him out and you see the heartbeat in in the sonar waves kind of thing. And this was really really well done. Yeah. It was visually stunning. They could have used it as like a daredevil tactic too, right? Like you remember I, I daredevil was, the Netflix yeah. show, how he could tell when people were lying, and that's how what that's what would make him kind of dive deeper and try to get the truth. I feel like they didn't really go into that too too much in this. No, they 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 went to the budget version, um, which I think was a, a much it was the perfect way to do it for the Netflix series, you know, and, yeah. and what they were trying to do with that feel, um, you know, the Hell's Kitchen verse, if you will. It's definitely a world better than what happened in the Ben Affleck film. Um but I hate, I, I have to say, you know, like if there's one thing that's carried over from this film into the MCU, I would love to see that visualization of the sonar ability adapted to Daredevil in the Born Again series. I think that those artists, those CGI artists, those graphic artists should be you know brought over to that series because that was really well done. Like I'll give them yeah. full credit for that. I think there should have been... Now that I'm thinking about this, I think the one thing that maybe might have turned around this movie is that if they had killed off Martine Bancroft and if they had gone with the idea that, yes, Michael Morbius is so smart that he made synthetic blood and, yes, that's going to tame the monster that is within him, but he's not going to be as strong as Milo because Milo feeds off of fresh blood and then Morbius would have had to have kind of came to this realization when Milo went on a bit of a tear and they kind of went this way, but not really, not even really that close is that I think they should have done it where Michael Morbius needed to kill Martine Bancroft to take her blood, drain her completely in order to defeat Milo. And it was one of those like 
heroic sacrifices kind of but it it would get spun in like a post credit scene where he's the villain because he's always an anti-hero right he's always doing mm-hmm. the right thing for the wrong reasons or or wrong thing for the right reasons yeah it's that's like it. it's like you know if you go to titans it's like connor kent using uh the the shields given to him by lex luthor in uh in the uh the young justice uh, animated series like he knows he shouldn't be doing this, but he does it because he has to, because he needs to save the day. Um, here, yes, you're right. Absolutely. If Morbius did drink Martine's blood and, and you know, basically killed her in order to defeat Milo. So no one else had to die, but then he's, you know, you know, wanted for the murder of Martine, you know, that that's definitely a much more interesting storyline. Yeah. Uh, at least, at least going forward. Cause there's a reason why, you know, you bring someone like a Tyrese Gibson in because then it becomes, you know, like you know, a manhunt, if you will. And you, you have something more to do with Morbius 2. And then Morbius 2 is no longer, you know, hero fights the villain with the same power set. Then it becomes more like, you know, the, the fugitive movie with Harrison Ford, where he's on the run from the law, even though he's really not the bad guy. Or like, like uh, well, similar to Venom as well, right? Because mm-hmm. they, oh, they already did the anti-hero thing, right? Maybe that's what they were worried about, so to speak. They're worried about the similarities, right? That's why they, um, in the latest Thor movie, they changed up Gore's look because they didn't want uh, Gore to get compared to Voldemort. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Plus, uh, Gore goes down as the worst babysitter in history. Just going to say that. Oh, as soon as they got the kids involved, I just, I facepalmed. I'm like, this is going to be the worst movie ever. <laughs> oh. uh, but no, that's not the worst movie ever because we're talking about Morbius. Uh, but before we get to our MVPs, <laughs> yeah, I had to go that way. Before we get to our MVPs, Twitter has spoken on this one. Uh, our good friend Greg over at Movie Date Night, who you'll remember from the episode we did of the Grade on a Curve, uh, chimed in with, I will give credit to Morbius's scientific research in testing his limits in the beginning. But aside from that, this movie was a massive slog to get through. This was more boring than Electra and more nonsense than Jonah Hex. I weep for the future of the Sinister Six. So, <laughs> first of all, Greg, thank you so much for that one. Um, I'm going to put it to you, though. Like, in comparing this to movies like Electra and Jonah Hex, or movies that we talked about, you know, in the Grading on a Curve episode where we talked about superhero movies, would Morbius, how would Morbius have fared? against those other five movies for for those who have not listened to this episode we took five superhero movies electra jonah hex superman for the quest for peace catwoman and green lantern and rated them amongst themselves or at least ranked them amongst themselves morbius was not one of those films i wonder i'm going to put this to you is morbius worse than those five films no i had i I'm trying to remember my list. I had Catwoman at number one as the worst. Yeah. Um, and I stand by that. I think oh, so Catwoman, did I. Yeah. Catwoman is not even close. It's not on this level. Because th- this, at least with Catwoman, you're watching it. And when you finish it, you're like, what, what's that thing on TikTok where Dwayne Johnson goes, this is the biggest piece of bullshit. Like, it's, <laughs> it's um, yeah. So, it, it's... There was nothing salvageable from it. At least with this Morbius movie, there were some salvageable pieces. There were some actors that people like. I don't think Halle Berry was enough to save that movie. No. 
No. I, I do think Morbius, like if, if you had to put Morbius in those, you know, make it a, a out of six, I think I'd put Morbius maybe third. And I know for my top two, I had Jonah Hex and Green Lantern. Um, I think Morbius was definitely better than Superman for the Quest for Peace. I think it was better than Elektra. Definitely better than Catwoman. Um, although I will say Catwoman, if you would put Catwoman's cinematography into Morbius... Oh my god, that would have been that that would have added to everything that they already put in, but it might have been too much, hard to say. Morbius is not the worst superhero film of all time, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, because I'm looking at the 1990 Captain America film that was done by Canon Films, and that sucked ass. This you're right. Man, you hate Canon Films. Every time oh. we talk about it, you're like, yo, Canon Films, Canon Films. You hate them. Not Ugh. true, because I actually did like Masters of the Universe. No, you didn't. Nobody oh, did. Uh, go back and lo- listen to the no, Masters of the didn't. Universe episode. Oh, my God. Car- Carrie even said that she enjoyed it more than Star Wars, of which I almost divorced her at that point. Um, but that being said... Um, I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. She broke the internet. Um, also, Johnny Rothen has chimed in with, reminded me of the good old B-movies. Certainly has its faults, but a breath of fresh air to get a low-key superhero movie functioning on its own without relying much on other characters or stories from the Sony Marvel Universe. Um, and I do have to, to to agree to a point that bringing Morbius into or onto the screen, I know Artisan Entertainment originally had the rights to do a Morbius film. Artisan is the is the company that that eventually gave us, I think it was, um, I can't remember which one it was. It might have actually been Jonah Hex. I know they also were involved in the Man-Thing movie uh, starring Rachel Hunter before she joined Jessica Jones. Um, Morbius is at least a character that we really haven't seen maybe beyond the the 1990s Fox Spider-Man cartoon, was it refreshing to you to have a new comic book character brought to life? Uh, I, I'm actually going to disagree with that tweet. I think this movie actually could have used a bit more of a crossover. Because I think, I think in the recency at least, uh, crossovers tend to be kind of the glitter on top of a really poorly written script. And that's that's obviously... Like for anyone who's also watching the She-Hulk show right now, that's what we're getting is we're mm-hmm. getting basically cameos every week uh, where she literally makes the joke in that show. And I'm, I apologize. I know we're here to talk about Morbius. I just have one point to make about this stupid show is that w- when Wong showed up and Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters looks right to camera and she goes, I guess we have like Twitter armor for the week. And I'm like, my God, why are you so self-aware that this show sucks? But yes, we're not going <laughs> to on Wong because we love him and we love your cousin Bruce and we love like, but that's literally what this show is. So I think this movie could have capitalized on a bit more of a crossover to make fans think that's the thing that we got to get back to. I'm going to get on my soapbox here, man. Give me a sec. Mm-hmm. Is we got to get back to setting up things. I know like Kevin Feige in the bigger MCU, Sony doesn't really do it that much. They did it a bit with Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Can we please get back to setting up a bigger thing and giving us teases for bigger concepts, not just your next great venture, not just your next, pro- like your next little side project or whatever. 
Like, I need big level villains. I didn't need Adrian Toomes showing up and name dropping Spider-Man. It made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have loved to have had like an article written by Eddie Brock. So then at least we can get full confirmation that they're in the same universe. You know, like something there. I didn't need to be more confused. I needed a couple answers. I needed a bit more of a crossover. And they took that away from us. There was footage of it. And they took that away from us. One of the other points he brings up is that it reminded him of the good old B movies. And I know Marvel, I mean, I get, I recognize this is a Sony film. But I know Marvel makes a point of trying to, you know, fit the, their movies and the different series into kind of their own genres. And we had that Werewolf by Night trailer drop at uh, D23 recently and how it's got this, you know, black and white monster film grindhouse kind of feel. Could Morbius have benefited from a bit more genrefication of the filming style? I think Morbius actually would have thrived under... Like a Zack Snyder, almost. I feel like Zack Snyder would have freaking killed it doing a Morbius movie. Because um, his darkness and that grit, I feel like, yeah, that, that he... Mm-hmm. Yep, now I'm seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, th- I think if Zack Snyder filmed it similar to how 300 was done... Yes, yes absolutely. that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no. I, I, I don't think Justice Leaguing it would have nope. worked but i think nope. 300 would have uh and finally louis at louis asap 614 whose name on here is literally morbius's blood bag uh thank you for chiming in on this one by the way uh three tweets here i enjoyed the movie it was exciting to me no boring parts i liked the action just when the horror element could have been played up with with you know more with an r rating some scenes needed to be cut down and some longer. Like the train scene, didn't like Matt running in slow-mo, should have been shorter. And I think more of Jared getting used to his powers would have been better. Would have liked to see more of Matt's fight at the club. I'm glad to see he's doing well on Netflix and hope a part two comes to fruition. Would love to see Adria as a villain and Michael Keaton. Uh, so there's a couple points here. And I, I want to get to uh, the one of the first ones here. It's true. This is a PG-13 film about bloodlusting vampires. Would an R rating have helped this? No, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes on like behind the scenes. Like they, they had the Venom movie initially as an R rating and then they had to pull it back because I think there was the prospect of potentially crossing over with Tom Holland. So if you're going to eventually move into like a Sinister Six, um, if ever Sony was to open up the IP to sell all their Marvel properties right back, which I'm sure the price takes big now. Um, they would need to have an established universe that Marvel could take over. And I think the PG-13 rating keeps the door open. Um, even though Marvel has stated that they're going to keep Deadpool R-rated. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think at the end of the day, the PG-13 rating, like I was getting to, it, it keeps the door open for more crossover stuff but it seems like they're just doing it with their own ip so why not just make it all r-rated and you have you have to think from a fiscal standpoint too um like let let's call this what it is right this film was released you know coming out of the omicron variant of the pandemic so you have to be a little bit more understanding as to the lower box office take on it because there were some places where 
it was still really problematic and a lot of hurdles to get through to even go into a movie theater and watching a film with a mask on was never fun to begin with. Mm. But PG-13 at least opened that door. But one of the other points that really uh, stood out for me on this one was, you know, more of Jared getting used to his powers. I I agree with that statement, actually. Yeah, like we we kind of poke fun a little bit sometimes about the training montage. You gotta need a montage, montage. But, you know, it seemed very glossed over. There were points where he, like the the whole testing his sonar thing with bouncing the ball around kind of thing, and then all of a sudden I can fly. Um, You don't necessarily learn these things right away. You have to, that's why I loved in the first Iron Man film. I wanted to see Tony crash and burn as he was, you know, testing out how to fly. It worked. It made sense. This seemed like inherently immediate him learning how to be able to use these powers. He jumped in front of a moving subway train. He shouldn't know that he can do that. The great thing about the Iron Man movie, and I'm glad you brought that up, is because he never actually mastered anything. He tried compressing his suit, making it smaller, but all the new toys that he added... He didn't fully test out. So by the end, when he had to use some, you know, second raid uh, arc reactor to try and power his suit, it wasn't compatible. So actually, he was at the huge disadvantage and he needed help in the end and he needed to kind of help deal with his problem. He wasn't even the one who really ended it because Stain was clearly winning the fight. And in Mm -hmm. this one, it was like Milo was leaning into his power set a bit more, whereas Jared Leto... Uh, not Jared Leto, uh, well, yeah, but uh, Michael Morbius was kind of always trying to figure out a way to suppress that. And I get it. As a scientist, I understand where he's coming from. But if you're not leaning into the power and you're not truly figuring out, like, yes, he had a montage where he was trying to figure out what his whole power set was. And he had the bat radar and the uh, sonar and he could kind of fly or whatever it was. Like, he kind of figured out what he could do. But Milo was extorting what he could do. He was testing the limits, and Morbius was just testing what he could do. So mm-hmm. there was there was a bit of a difference in power set. So, again, back to my theory, I think he should have drank some real blood in order to, you know, juice up a little bit before that final fight. But whatever, what do I know? <laughs> okay, before we get to our MVP here, I'm, I'm going to, you know, tackle one more point here that was brought up. Do we see Morbius 2? No. Oh, sorry. Was that too fast? <laughs> no, please do, do explain. Why why, no, uh, why do you think we don't see a Morbius 2? Because uh, they re-released it and it bombed twice. That, that's mm. that's the whole point. If the fans pulled a fast one on them, I don't think... Uh, it's just... It's, it's a business. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't... If it's not fiscally responsible for you to blow a $300 million budget or $200 million budget... And you're only going to make, you know, two or three hundred million on top of that. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and 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 if they're leading towards a team up, which clearly this movie kind of set up, we don't need to see Morbius until the Sinister Six. Like we don't, mm. we just don't need it. We don't need a Morbius two. The story was so poorly written. I just don't understand who he would even fight. I don't know who his villain would be. Uh, yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was a failed venture. But there's salvageable pieces from it. So you can take it and bring it into other IP. I can see how... I mean, we were talking about the Incredible Hulk earlier, right? And 
that was one of the poorest performing films of the MCU, especially in the early years, right? And to the point of people were like, yeah, I don't need another Hulk film. I don't need another. Now we're all sitting here waiting for World War Hulk. I think you're right in that Morbius can be ported over to different IPs. I could easily see them doing a, a Blade film where Blade has to hunt down Morbius. That would be interesting. Um, but remains to be seen, especially with how much Sony and Marvel want to play together. Uh, because or if they want to team up. If, if Blade yeah, is having troubles like tracking somebody and then he goes to Michael Morbius and Michael Morbius uses that bat sonar. Um, I don't know. Like maybe that's a cool thing too. Very, very good. Yeah. I mean, there's possibilities there, especially with Secret Wars. You know, we know a few years down the road, anything could possibly happen. But it has come time. So, Kev, who is your MVP of Morbius? Um, The MVP of Morbius, and this is, this is probably an answer you haven't gotten, is uh, the fans that trolled the producers into re-releasing the movie? <laughs> and let me let me and let me back that up. Let me back that up because the movie is pretty bad. Okay, it's not that bad, but it's pretty bad. Um, if the fans hadn't kind of not bent the will, but if they hadn't kind of forced the hand of the studio to think that it was a success and they had to re-release it, kind of thing. Then they wouldn't. They wouldn't have thought that they didn't have something, and they don't have something. They really don't. So if the fans hadn't made them basically re-release it, have it flop again, I feel like they probably would have already greenlit Morbius two, so to speak. So I'm very thankful for the fans, myself included, that started the hashtag It's Morbin Time. Um, <laughs> And uh, I'm glad that we finally put this thing to bed. It, I mean, it is true, right? The studios could have easily, you know, shaken off poor box office performance by saying, well, you know, it was released, you know, coming out of the pandemic and, you know, at least try to save a little bit of face. But no, they tried it again. It flopped even worse. And here we are. Um, I think you know who my MVP is. Was he a former doctor? He was a former doctor. <gasps> yeah, Matt Smith. I mean, if you haven't seen House of the Dragon, you all, you, you know, you're missing out. It is undeniable that Matt Smith is a phenomenal actor. Whether he's being Doctor Who, uh, whether he is Milo in a really crappy vampire movie, uh, whether he is, you know, Damon Targaryen in House of the Dragon, um, you you really want to figure out how how powerful an actor is go watch him play charles manson because he was it's scary as hell in yeah. that film and charlie says matt smith is a phenomenal phenomenal actor who looked like he was having a lot of fun on set um yeah i'm surprised we haven't gotten the hour-long you know zemo dance cut of milo dancing oh, we have <laughs> in, we from have this film it, it was attached to the it's morbid time yep it was all oh, part of that movement dear God. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we, we've gotten but, it but yeah, um, Matt Smith, I think, was definitely the best part of this film. Hilsey, thank you so much for you know for Morbin time with me here, uh, and to our listeners, thank you for listening to this edition of It's Not That Bad. Now you guys know the drill. If you think there is a film that is unfairly maligned or you think is so bad that we can't find anything good to say about it, hit me up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast and we will watch it. 
we will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades and B movies and make sure you tune in next week because next week is episode number 50 of It's Not That Bad and man have we got a special episode for you. Until next time, Kev, thank you so much again. I'm Jay. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.